Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. You solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers, Those officers appointed over me, appointed over me according, to regulations, according to regulations, a uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. And I want to say thank you to all the listeners out there and the subscribers out there for liking the the podcast on apple itunes and sending comments and stuff like that it really helps out really pushes the podcast out there a little bit more so um please on keep doing that uh send me comments and everything else and just give a quick reminder again every friday night i do that open zoom 7 30 eastern time anybody can get on and talk about whatever they want it's not recorded um so just get on have a couple drinks and just talk with other veterans But for this episode, I'm sitting here tonight with Eric, who is a 17 and a half year army veteran who has been on three tours to to Afghan, one tour to Iraq, one tour to Saudi Arabia, and one tour to Hungary. Eric is the founder of Warrior Mindset and Motivation. That can be found on Facebook and YouTube at Warrior Mindset and Motivation. Also on Instagram at WarriorMindset.Motivation. And we're going to get into that a little bit towards the end of the show, so stick in for that. And Eric, thanks thanks for being a guest on my on my show tonight. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on here. I, you know, I'm all about supporting the veteran community with whatever they want to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're a fellow uh, Mission 22 ambassador, too. That's kind of how we met. Mm-hmm, that's correct. Yeah, I got accepted into that program a little while ago. It kind of popped up, and I was like, well, well I'll do this, because I tagged them in some posts. Um, yep. I actually had their... Uh, Mission 22's wellness coordinator, Marcus Ferris, come on my podcast back in December, and he talked about his their new program that they're doing for veteran resiliency and things like that. So it was actually pretty good. So that's kind of what sparked me to jump on with Mission 22 ambassador program. Yeah. What do you think about the vetting process just to get on? Um, like I said, on the ambassador program? Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's kind of, I think I, I like the way it's set up. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think if there was an improve, I would I would say uh, at least if you're like a, if it's like better and only to upload your DD two fourteen or something like that, you know, like maybe the member two copy without like the you know the PII right. stuff. Just it's just to like verify. Not saying that someone's lying, but just to verify authenticity that they're a veteran because it's pretty yeah. easy. You know, I'm not saying someone's trying to snake through there and go through, but right. Just I would say just an extra layer. That's just what I think. But yeah, I think I like- it's not not a bad though. No, I like it because, uh, you know, there's some other organizations and not talk too much bad about them or, or name drop them, but there's other organizations. You can just send an email and then they send you an email back like in a minute. Congratulations, you're yeah. on. You're <laughs> like, there's no, there's like, how, you know, how are you going to help us? There's no nothing. It's just like, so I like the fact that like, you know, because, you know, my references told me like, dude, I got a phone call by Mission 22, this, that, and the other thing and asking about you and stuff like that. So I, I kind of like that process that. They do their yeah. good diligence on the other end to make sure they're not getting the wrong people. Yeah, and the whole workplace thing is pretty neat, too. Like, I didn't even know that was, like, a thing. Like, I got the email, like, oh, si- set up your workplace and work chat. I'm like, what the hell is a workplace? Like, yeah. <laughs> what else? like a workplace from Facebook? What is this, another Facebook? Like, what the hell? Like, oh, yeah. So, <laughs> but it's kind of neat, though, because I started now as I start throwing, like, the posting I do on Facebook and Instagram. I shifted over to the workplace thing, you know, just to kind of, hey, let me reach a different target audience so that yep. way they can see what I'm doing, you know, yep. and I kind of just do the same thing there. So it's kind of neat. Yeah, I like it. It gets us all together and you can mm-hmm. get a hold of people a lot faster than trying to track them down on Facebook and everything else. So, yeah, all in one spot. I like it. So, Eric, who uh, who was Eric as a child prior to, to the Army and why would you join? <laughs> well. Well, Eric joined the Army at 17 years old. Nice. Delayed entry program. Mom had to sign the paperwork. But uh, before that, I was uh, I played a lot of sports. Okay. Um, I, 
played baseball, football, basketball, soccer. I was just your sports kid. I mean, I played act. I didn't play in high school, uh, but I played like in a league all the way until I was about 16 or so, like baseball. I played soccer recreationally, basketball at the park, uh, football at the park. But the one that was active was baseball. So that's kind of what I did like growing up through that. And then in high school, I joined the JROTC program. Um, it was Navy. So they didn't, and then the instructors were pretty good. Um, uh, Lieutenant Commander Jeff Trude and Chief Petty Officer Chief Clay. They didn't, they were, they were awesome because they didn't like say, oh, you're going to join the Navy. They weren't recruiters. That wasn't their job. Right. You know, their job was to teach Navy history and military history. And if you joined, sweet. And I, during that point, like, I didn't really know what I wanted to do prior to the service. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, period, with life. Um, I really didn't start thinking about until towards the end of junior year, senior year, when I was debating on what branch I wanted to go into. And I was all over the map. I wanted to do Navy because I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Yep. Uh, I wanted to go to the Marines and be Force Recon. Um, yep. I wanted to go Air Force for a little bit because I knew a guy who was in the Air Force and he said it was super chill, which I'm sure it still is with their couches and Wi-Fi. Um, but uh, and then the Army, uh, no one was there. And then I joined the Army because as I was evaluating the jobs, and this is still valid to this day, the Army is the only branch that can guarantee you a specific job yeah. in a field. They just won't throw you in a field and then you get it after AIT. And that's kind of what got me was, is uh, saying, okay, well, I, I didn't, I wanted to be infantry. And at the time I was, I found out too, that I was red, green, proficient, colorblind. I didn't know that. I can still see red and green. No problem. It's just with those color books, you know, for vision tests, I can't see the red for anything. Like there is like, if, if they're like, hey, you're going to die if you can't read this color. Well, then I'm dead because I won't be able to read the, the number or the letter that's on that book. Yeah. But uh, so I had to get a waiver to join. And then because of the waiver and then me being an ignorant teenager, I took the ASVAB twice. The first time I took it, I scored like, uh, what did I score? I scored like a 33 or something because I just wanted to get out of class. I was like, you know, what? Yeah. four hours out of class. Sweet. I'll take a test and just blow through whatever. Yeah. Then senior year, I took it again. But I did not know it was the same test book, and I scored a 68 on the ASVAB. Nice. So, so I was like, badass. I'm going to do a cool job this, you know. But then they said they couldn't process my score because it was the same book. Book at the time because it was all paper. Paper yeah. books. So my recruiter was like, hey, you know, if you want to do this, you got to take the test again. So being it that 17-year-old ignorant kid, I was like, I am not taking no four-hour test again. <laughs> hell no you know i was like i am not sitting there again for four hours I, I no way jose and well i went from a long list of jobs to a very short list of jobs <laughs> uh artillery was one of them calf scout was full infantry believe it or not was full i still don't understand how infantry was full because you can always use a grunt so right. i didn't understand that so i chose artillery and i left high school at 17 two months after high school and that's kind of how i became how my journey started okay so where'd you go to boot camp i went to fort sill oklahoma it was one station unit training and it was 18 weeks long and that was hard because that was like 2000 era where hands-on was the way it went like i didn't realize i had my my brook my alice pack which is the old school backpack at the time and duffel bags in my hands because I wasn't moving fast enough, I was thrown up a flight of steps. I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> then, because I didn't get up fast enough, I was dragged to my bunk by, like, the handle of my Alice pack, being called names, slid into the aisle of my bunk, and, say, and was like, here's your bunk, bitch. And I was like, what the hell is happening here? You know, like, at 17, I'm not even 18 yet. You know, because my birthday was the next month. I'm over here like, what did I just get into? What is going on here? You know, right, right. and it was a hard, it was a hard basic training. We got smoked for everything. Like every little thing required physical exertion. Someone looked at a cake in the dining facility, got our asses smoked. Yep. Someone didn't walk fast enough, got smoked. And then when we went to AIT, our basic training drill instructors seemed like they got jealous because we had to deal with the other 
drill instructors from AIT. So we got smoked because we had to go to AIT. Like it was my <laughs> fault. I had to go to AIT, you know, like, yeah, I'm like, come <laughs> so on, that man. was basic training. Like, I was like, I'm sorry that I have to go across the tracks to learn my job and it pissed you off. And then you smoke us when we get back. I'm sorry. You know, like, <laughs> yep, yeah. Well, it's kind of like, uh, in the Marine Corps, you know, on Sundays, you can either go to church or you can have personal time in the barracks. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, our kill hats would just destroy us all week anyways. And then they'll look at us like on Sunday, they'll be looking out their hall, you know, out the window or something like that at us and something. And, uh, you can tell they're getting very irritated because we're just, <laughs> you know, a lot of guys got their feet up, you know, they're just reading letters from home. They're writing mm-hmm. letters, you know, just slouching around looking like a pile of ass, you know? So yeah, I always went to church. I got very religious in boot camp because I found <laughs> out, <laughs> I found out that <laughs> that personal time quickly turns into um gym time yep <laughs> happened for us too if you yep. didn't go to church you were cleaning your weapon and then if your weapon piece was dirty they would throw it and then we would get smoked because there was dings on our weapon you threw my weapon like what yep. the hell like <laughs> you you caused that ding on the bolt and you're yep. mad at me because there's a ding when i came back to get reinspected yelling at me why i dented my bolt you threw it like <laughs> 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 yeah. So as artillery, where was your, uh, after AIT, um, where did you go for your first duty station? I went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. That's where I went. Nice. Nice. So what year did you actually join the army? Um, it was 2000. It was 2000. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, prior to nine 11. Yeah. So where were you on nine 11? In 9-11, we actually, I was just new to the duty station. I got to my duty station in December of 2000. Um, we had just finished up uh, some training, and then we went back out to the field for a battalion uh, field training exercise. Yeah. And it was like day three of a two-week exercise. And uh, our platoon sergeant walks up, our smoke, that's what we call our platoon sergeant, the artillery. Yeah. Our smoke walks up and goes, Hey, everybody, uh, we have to go back into garrison because uh, the Twin Towers have been attacked. There's been an attack on U.S. soil, and we have to go back in to prepare for securing Fort Bragg and things like that. Yep. Well, we thought it was a training scenario because, you know, they do that stuff all the time. In the right. They give you scenarios. So we're like, oh, okay, cool. So which which um, positioning assembly area are we going to? They're called Papa Alphas in the artillery. So we're like, okay, well, what, what um, Papa Alpha are we going to? And he's like, no, I'm serious. Yeah. Twin Towers that were hit by planes, and we're like, yeah he's, probably, yeah, he's probably calm as hell and everything else. He's just like, hey, man, you know, he's one of those guys that lives, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, we were, you know, there was no conflict at the time. Desert Strong was already done. We're you American. Know. Who's going to fuck with us? Yeah, so we're like, Smoke, are you serious? And he's like, and then he starts going, what the fuck you think I'm serious? He has a Spanish accent, so he starts going all crazy. You know, he's like, we got to go, let's go. And then it yeah. took us, there's a street called Long Street on Fort Bragg that basically takes you out to the field. It yeah. took us four and a half hours to get back on the basic because they pulled everyone out of the field. Oh, yeah. And then uh, we went through all the training, and then we hit up uh, Afghanistan uh, a year after that. Okay. All right. So how was your, uh, you know, your first, your first tour to, to Afghan out there as artillery? Uh, well, that was an interesting tour because we were supposed to have a specific mission, not artillery-related. Uh, this was when Kandar Airfield was very small. There was no boardwalk. There was no shops. There was no uh, Burger King and Nathan's hot dogs. There was none of that stuff. It was very, very small. And the airfield was still separated from the actual uh, airfield itself. So it was separate. Uh, we get there and then we had to run across the airfield uh, in case we were, in case uh, enemy fire would happen. And when we got into the airfield, um, there was a team of uh, special forces inside. Yeah. Uh, two teams, Alpha and Bravo team. We get in there and their colonel goes, is this uh, Charlie 3321? And then our first sergeant goes, yes. And he's like, all right, well, you guys have a mission change. He walks up to our formation and splits us in half and goes, you guys are going with Alpha team to Kandahar. You guys are going to Bravo team with Kalat, to Kalat. And we were like, what the hell? First sergeant commander had no idea what was going on. They yeah. were not briefed. So we were like, what the heck? So they fought to at least keep the squad integrity instead of splitting the dang platoon in half or the battery in half. Yeah. You know, so we managed to keep the section integrity of the squads. And I went to Kandahar uh, PRT, which is a provincial reconstruction uh, team. And uh, 
before we left, we had to train with the SF guys. We trained for about three weeks from 04 to 2300 every day, basically getting up to speed with them. And then we had to go occupy and clear an abandoned fruit factory that was in the middle of Kandahar City with the SF guys. So we had to breach through it, clear it, and clear all of that. And basically occupy that area as our base in the middle of the city. Okay. Uh, with them. And we basically were pulling, uh, we pulled guard for ourselves, um, And we were doing escort missions with the SF and certain like VIPs from uh, UNICEF and all that other stuff and patrols and things like that. But at that time, we, didn't, we only had one Humvee that had zero armor, zero side protection. That was the one Humvee we yep. had. And we operated in Toyota Hilux. Um, trucks yep and we would take our crew serve and we had to we learned a lot of tradesmen skills here it, it, during this deployment <laughs> like we took we took a metal pole and we welded it to the back of the bed and we made a we we created a, a, a pencil to mount our 240 bravo and our saws on and then we took we ordered humvee seats from uh from the catalog like how we would order and we welded those seats down to the back of the truck so that was like that was like the the, the turret yeah, for us yeah. basically when we had those trucks um we uh basically did everything ourselves we had uh occupied that whole factory it was huge sf guys lived in their own spot and then we had our own we had uh four or five guys in like one room because they were big rooms and they were concrete walls we had to punch some holes in some walls to get into the rooms uh i was still kind of new and i wasn't really aware of what weed was at the time and i found this big old weed plant big old buds like the size of your thumb yeah. and i was and i got a contact high and didn't even know like <laughs> i was sitting i was like that's a big ass plant like it was in the middle of the fruit factory huge and i'm like you know rubbing my face and stuff because it's like you know making my getting all the weird symptoms yeah. so I'm, I'm giving myself more of a contact high <laughs> while this is going on and then they're like what the hell are you doing Castillo? and i was like i don't know i found this big old plant and now i'm <laughs> feeling like chill and i'm just like relaxed and i don't know man what's going on? Why are we here? You know, like, <laughs> what is the purpose of this? <laughs> like, I was just like totally chill. And they're like, that's a weed plant. And I was like, a weed plant. Like I was like, <laughs> I was pretty, uh, pretty up there in the contact high area. And it was funny. And then we got that removed and stuff. And then we were, we learned, I learned how to tile. I learned, uh, how to do electric electricity work. Um, demolition plumbing. Like we had, it. we were literally self-sufficient. Nice. And uh, it was like a rough tour because we didn't get there was no internet barely. We had to shit. We had our combo guys splice internet from the internet that they used for our uh, tactical operations center, and we had, we spliced it so that way we can use internet, but it had to be shared. Uh, there was no phones. We had an Iridium phone that we uh, the sat phone that we shared, and we were allowed one call a week. Um, if that was uh, if that was allowed, and it was it was a rough tour, but the SF guys. I always say that that deployment right there was where I learned how to be a soldier at. I learned all my tactical and technical competencies of training for combat from those guys. Yeah. And they don't do nothing different. All they do is follow the battle drills that infantry follow and they just perfect them. Yeah. You know, and they add their little spin to it to make it effective for them. And then they did that for us. And it was, I learned a lot during that deployment. I really learned how to be a soldier in that deployment. And then that deployment influenced my training as I moved up in the ranks to train other people. Perfect. Yeah, I was going to say, so now after you do all that, you know, then you come back, so you, you go back to North Carolina when you come back from your deployment or are you somewhere else? So this is how it went when I was at Fort Bragg. So we uh, went to Saudi Arabia, then we went to Afghanistan, yeah. and then right after Afghanistan, we went to Iraq, um, and then, but in between that Afghanistan and Iraq, throwing Hungary in there. So we went to Hungary for seven months. So there, there was like a back-to-back-to-back thing going on there at Fort Bragg. So, um, so to answer your question, after Afghanistan that finished, there was a pause and we did some training in Hungary. And then from Hungary, we went straight to Iraq for almost 13 months. Okay. So, wow. I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, go, that, go, go. Yeah, that sucks. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so out of all, so Hungary and uh, Saudi Arabia, I mean, everybody hears stories about Iraq and Afghan. So what's kind of yeah. like their culture and stuff like that? What's, 
was if you were able to go outside the wire and and sort of speak. Uh, Saudi Arabia, kind of. We guarded a Patriot missile site that was kind of like out in the middle of nowhere. So we would have to transfer. It was every two days, and we would have to go out and transit every two days. But when we were not at the site, um, we were on an installation, and this is where Air Force over here. It was an Air Force base, and it was like living in a damn hotel. They're like, here's the keys to your room. So we're like, we're the keys to our room. So mind <laughs> you, I had this mindset thinking going into Afghanistan that that's what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, not so much. You know, we were sleeping on hard ass beds and using rocks as pillows, and I was pretty upset. Yeah, now you got room, Air Force. room keys. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so like, and they're like, oh, and when you're here at the at the base, you don't have to wear a uniform. You can wear civilian clothes. We were the only 14 guys on this Air Force <laughs> installation. So we were like, what? We don't have to wear a uniform or civilian clothes. We didn't bring civilian clothes. Oh, yeah. it's okay. We'll take you to go get some in the, in the mall down. And we're like, what? Go get some at the mall? <laughs> <laughs> they took us to one of the Saudi Arabia malls out there on a bus, and we went and bought some clothes. and. It was cool, man. Like they drive Mercedes is like the normal car over there, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, that's like their normal vehicle you see on the highways. It's just <laughs> V12 Mercedes driving around. And you're like, dang, all these Mercedes everywhere. But it was, Saudi was a chill deployment. Like that was like a super chill deployment. Uh, Hungary was cool because we stayed in like these, uh, I can't remember what I want to say. It's like world war two style barracks. It was Tazar main air force base. And that one was a little more structured, um, very cold there in Hungary, very, very cold. Uh, and we'll be, we played basically a training role, and I trained uh, free Iraqi forces in marksmanship and hand-to-hand combat. That's what we trained them on, just like the basics, so that yeah. way they can, because they were able to be escape Iraq and become refugees, and they were going to go back and fight against uh, the Al-Qaeda or Taliban, whichever one it was over there, uh, to go do that. And that's what we did for... Just, uh, I don't want to say it's like seven months, I think we did that. Almost eight, seven and a half months. Okay. So out of your 17 and a half years, what was your best duty duty station? If I was telling you that you had to go to a duty station for the next six months, what, what, which one would it be? Out of the U.S. and overseas and all of them. Oh, man. That's a hard one because, (laughs) Now, is it with the same people in the same unit or just going back there? Oh, that's like going back there with your fiance and your family, just going. Like, if I if I sit here and if I had a ton of money and I said, here, I will give you a million dollars if you go to one of these bases and live for six months, which one would it be? Oh, damn, dude. It would, it would, probably, it would probably be, oh, it's a toss-up between Germany or Hawaii because they're both, they both offer unique experiences. Yeah. Um, but for the money wise, I would probably have to say Europe because there's so much to do there. Okay. And there's so many things to see in the environment. I love how chill and laid back it is. I mean, Hawaii is awesome, and I am a beach bum, and I love the beach and I love the hot weather, and but I would choose that any is. day of the week. Yeah. But if it was for this, what you're talking about? Oh no, it's Europe because I can really make an experience with my fiance and I over there in Europe for six months and. Like not be military and just go live over there or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah Europe all the way. All right, perfect. Yeah, so I went. Uh, I went out to the Pacific. So I went out to like Okinawa, Japan, and stuff like that. Korea and all nice. that out there. So I was just just curious. Like I would love to go back to Okinawa, Japan, just because you know just the water and stuff like that. But I'd only yeah. take about two weeks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that island is very small, so you can just about do everything out there. Yeah, I didn't get island fever in Hawaii, though. Like, people said they did. I didn't. Like, I enjoyed every minute, even though that was, like, and we'll, I'm sure we'll hit it later. Like, it was not so great there. But, like, outside of all the, the, the crap there, I I didn't have a single ounce of island fever because I love the beach and I love the water. I'm from L.A., so, like, that's just what it is. I, I love the beach and the water, and it's always hot, and it's always tropical and warm, and I love it. Right. Okay. So, for my listeners out there, if you're joining or if you have the opportunity to go to europe for a duty station go ahead and do that sounds like that's going to yep. be the best one i like to ask people that questions you know when people tell me like yeah, i was in for 17 and a half years or i was in for you know 40 years 30 years and stuff like that i'm like well what's what's the best place to go you know because yeah. you know as you as you're joining you're 17 coming out of ro you know tc there and and stuff like you never thought that you were probably going to go to germany you know especially nah, in 2000 we're not at war with anybody so you're like you know, I'm going to put around, be an army, you know, 
it is what it is at the time. Like, I'm going to put around mm-hmm. and be an army guy, but I'm not going to really do anything but collect a paycheck and stuff. Yeah, and it is instinct. You don't have to pay. If it's an assignment, you don't have to pay to fly there. Yep. You don't have to pay to live there. You just pay to travel. And even then, sometimes, depending if you get a cool detailer, like something like how I got to go to Belgium on the Army's dime. Yep. Dude, that was awesome. <laughs> I didn't have to pay to go to Belgium. So yep. it's like you can get those opportunities. Yeah, one of my past uh, past guests, he's in uh, Costa Rica right now. Oh, my. Yeah, and he, he's <laughs> looking, he's going from Costa Rica to Virginia. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, bro, call me because I'm only like 16 hours away from you. Call me if you need to hang out or something like that. He's like, he's like, it's all good, brother, man. I'm going to get my Jeep back. And that's all he's wanting because he can't really drive out there or whatever. But he's like, I just want my yeah. Jeep back. <laughs> it's all fun and games when he goes from hot to cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but all right. So now you bounce around. So Europe is your best, best spot to do it. And um, so talk to me like, um, I, I know, I kind of know a little bit about your past history cause I, I watched a little bit of your, like I said, of your, uh, podcast and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. what was the main reason why you didn't go the full 20? I should say, you know, well, the main reason why I didn't go the full 20, uh, I was in Hawaii and I was going through a lot of marital problems, like a lot. The marriage should have ended probably eight years prior, but it never did. Yeah. Um, and I ended up, I ended up having an affair. You know, I call, I say what it is. I, I yep. did, it was wrong, but it happened. You yep. know, I wasn't uh, getting what I needed. And I'm not saying that what I did was the right answer because it is very wrong on so many levels. Right. But um, what it happened and it happened and it happened with another service member because she was going through the same thing on her side and it kind of just happened. And uh, it went on for about three months. And then when I was confronted, I admitted it. I didn't yeah. lie. Right. Um, I could have. I could have lied and they would have took me to court martial. And because there's no proof, I would have stayed in. But right. then as I thought about that at the time, and I actually thought about this at the time, it wouldn't have been an honorable service yep. if I if I lied. Right. So I'd be honorably discharged, but deep inside I knew it wasn't honorable. Right. So I admitted it. And I got a letter of reprimand by the post commander. Because I was in, I was an E6 promotable and got promoted to E7 during an investigation, which pissed the unit off beyond levels because right. they tried to take my status away. But because the investigation was pending, they couldn't do nothing about it. Yeah. So I ended up getting a letter of reprimand, and then that that triggered the um, separation, basically for administrative separation. Okay. So as I was going through that separation, uh, I had to go through the physical part, and then I ended up being diagnosed with type one diabetes. Yeah. Um, which is not like the type two for eating crazy. It's the actual one that's supposed to be like that. You just, something happens with your pancreas and things like that. I have no family history of type one diabetes, a couple of type twos, but not type one. And uh, that honestly is what, uh, what changed my transition from administratively separated to medically retired. Right. And then I was diagnosed with PTSD also with all the trauma that I went through. And I know that uh, that's kind of how it, that, all that shifted and went there. And it was a, I don't blame the trauma for what I did, but it definitely was a contributing factor because I felt like I couldn't talk to my ex at the time, right? you know, because I even still today tells me I'm faking, I'm lying. It's, you know, it didn't happen. And I'm like, well, okay, you weren't there. So how the hell do you know? You know, like, so I just kind of brush that stuff off now. And I, and I, with my fiance, now I talk with her about some of the things and she's super supportive and just listens. And then just, uh, doesn't judge me and that's what my ex did my ex constantly judged everything and it's just nice not to be judged and it's nice to be supported and i just kind of tell her what happened you know and she just listens and just tells me it's all right and then just accepts me for what it is see i want to i want to before we go forward i I think that's awesome that um i'm that might have came out wrong but i think it's awesome that you know you're, you're talking to your ex and she gave you the downplate of your of what you know you're opening up to her you're like this is what's going on with me, and she's like, "Fucking, yeah. you're you're weak." This that, and the other thing, you're you're just you're lying, and that didn't stop you from talking to your fiance that you have now, and that's yeah. that's key, and that's what I try to tell people out there. Like, listen, dude, if you talk, if you finally open up, get that shit off your chest to somebody, and you're not getting what you want out of them, talk to somebody else, man. Don't give up. Don't don't stop there. Just talk to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, people are 
who they are, and that's just the way it is. Um, but I'm just glad that didn't prevent you from talking to anybody else, and I think that I think that ends up working in your favor. Yeah, and I actually talked about it today too. It's, it's just I had to be vulnerable, and I know a lot of us veterans don't like to do that. Right. We don't like to be vulnerable, and we don't like to be open, especially with our partner or spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, whatever it may be. But I see it like this, and this is going to sound harsh, but as a, as a gunnery sergeant in the Army, as you know, I keep it what it is, if yeah. you can't be vulnerable and open with your spouse, why the heck are you married? Yeah. You know, why are you married if you can't talk to your significant other about what's going on with you? Yeah. They should be able to create a safe space for you to talk about war trauma and things like that and why you're feeling the way you are. And if that yeah. person doesn't do that, you need to reevaluate the relationship or go to counseling so that way you can do that. You yeah. know what I mean? And I think that's important and it's huge. And that's what I have now. She yeah. creates a safe space for me to talk about that. And I can literally be open. I can be vulnerable. I can cry. And it's okay. I don't have to worry about that backlash. Right. I think the other side of that is too, is just, you know, I know a lot of guys out there and I'm finding that it's more common than, you know, ever since I started this podcast, it's more common than I realized, but a lot of guys are out there. They've been married with a significant other, but they don't tell them because of the stigma they feel if I mm-hmm. come out and console, you know, with my wife that most of the time they're civilians, you know, I'm just going to look weak now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the other side of it. And you know, you got everybody out there, you got to get, you got to get past it because I tell you, you think you're strong now by holding that shit in. When you get that shit out, you're going to be so much stronger afterwards. You're not going to use a lot of your, your mental strength ain't going to be pushing shit down anymore every, every day. It's going to be fighting to be better that day. Yeah, exactly. And like uh, another thing I always say too, and I learned this when I'm going through psychology uh, at Portland State University and talking with other people and watching videos and stuff is like, you can only control your own thoughts and actions. That's it. Like you can't control your spouses. Even like if I tell you, I can't control your actions or thoughts or how you're going to react. I can't do it. You're going to react however you want to react. I can't control that. And as a veteran, we're so used to controlling our environment, especially in the deployment setting, especially in combat. We control everything. So when it comes to this, we try to do that too. And we fall and we fall hard because we can't control. And once you realize that you can't control it and you only can control yourself and your own actions and your own thoughts, things will start to change. And then you won't get as wound up and you may not find yourself in that dark of a place because you know that you, you can't control your significant other's thoughts. So you're basically assuming how your spouse is going to act. But you can't even make that factual because you can't say for certain how they're going to act. So now you're placing false judgment and you're putting yourself in a position where nine out of 10 times you shouldn't even be in because you're assuming someone else's actions when it shouldn't even be that way. So my two cents there. Yeah. No, I like it, man. I like it. You know, you're everybody's side of everything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's true, too, but. You know, it's it's tougher, too, because, you know, you're high-ranking. I'm not sure what a gunnery is. I'm thinking it's probably, what, E7, E8, something like yeah, that. It's E7. E7. Okay, so I was kind of close. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's high-ranking, too. So, I mean, you don't want to look, you know, you don't want to, especially when you're in or whatever, you don't want to look weak either, mm-hmm. you know, to your junior guys because they're all looking up to you and everything else. Like, oh, you know, you're E7. So, I, I think about, like, all of my tops, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, to this today, I don't know what, if they were going through anything, but I'm all, I always look at them like, dude, they're the strongest motherfucker. I'm never fucking with them. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, he's my dad. He's, you know, I'm never talking about him, but you know, it's, you got to find that one person. And like you said, you know, you can't control how people are going to react to you, but you can control mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're getting out, got the divorces going on, stuff like that. So now you're you're getting out and you're not getting out the way you wanted to get out, right? You obviously you probably wanted to go 20 years, but now mm-hmm. that you have you're diabetic, you can't go 20 years. So finding a job and stuff like that, how was that like for you as like just getting back into in 2017, you know, 2018, somewhere around in there, you know, trying to find another job after getting out abruptly? Well, it was uh I was actually fortunate. Um Toyota sponsors an event called Hiring Our Heroes. And uh, they were on Schofield Barracks doing an event. And I brought, printed out my resume. I was still in um, the OCP uniform, regular duty uniform. 
Yeah. Um, and it's like a big old job summit. You drop your resume off. Maybe you get hired on the spot. Maybe you don't. So I was dropping my resume off all over, like construction, plays, yep. Amazon, Google, Microsoft, you know. And I'm walking around, and then there's the Intel Corporation, the computer chip company. This is towards the end of as they're closing stuff. So I walk by, and uh, the guy goes, hey, how's it going? You thinking about joining Intel? And I was like, I, I looked at him, and I was like, sir, I go, I honestly don't meet any of your requirements you have right there on your board. And he's like, how so? I was like, well, I got an associate's degree in general studies. I don't know any computer thingy things you have going on on your board. And I go, I don't know how to do any of that. If you want me to make someone disappear, I can do that. If you need some protection, I can do that too. If you need me to shoot someone from far away, I can do that too. But this right here on your board, I can't do that. Need me to send a PDF? Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to waste your time. And he's like, give me your resume. And I was like, okay, you know, here you go. So he gave it to me. He looked at my resume. He's like, oh, impressive. Saw my achievements, uh, Bronze Star, different induction clubs and stuff like that. And he's like, how about we schedule a phone interview? And I was like, okay, cool. You know, first guy that told me that, whatever. And I really stopped by there because they had the portable chargers for phones. And that's all I wanted. I wanted a damn little portable (laughs) charging thing for my phone. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And it turned into a, it turned into a phone call interview, which turned into a Skype interview like two weeks later, and then actually hired on the spot before I was even out of active duty at Intel. And they worked with my separation because my unit was not being friendly at the time. And basically, we're just like, okay, they basically kept me on a limbo and just said, okay, let let us know when your final date to get out is. And then we'll adjust you and give you a week and then you can join. Intel is a super, 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 super veteran friendly freaking company. Like, and I'm saying like you basically, as long as you were a veteran and didn't do nothing crazy, they will overlook a lot of like, uh, requirements requirements because you're a veteran like if you're working the condensed work week like i do so i work sunday monday tuesday every other wednesday from 7 40 to 8 p.m okay that's that's my work schedule so like if you work on that one and if you're a technician they will overlook those skills because they want to see if you're teachable and if you're coachable basically yeah as long as you're on your own yeah as long as you can figure it out and and that's kind of how it went down and that's how i got hired so i actually had that before i got out so i didn't have i didn't have that struggle of looking for a job after i got out and at that point i was still married too the divorce hadn't started yet so i had to find a job to support the kids you know yep wow man i'm glad that i'm glad that worked out for you like that um so you you said you you got the bronze star. Mm-hmm. How did how did you end up getting that as an award? Um, I actually as got an... it as an E six. Okay. Um, because the way now it's almost given out like candy for E sevens and above, like as long as you know it's this that or whatever. But my counterpart and I, we were one of the only E sixes in our regiment to get that in two thousand thirteen in Afghanistan, um, for meritorious and exceptional service. Uh. For providing private because we, we were private security basically okay. detail and we were separated i was providing private security for the sfat which is a security forces assistance and a, and a security forces assistance and uh assurance team or something like that sfat yep. and then i was also providing security for nato commanding generals and uh commanders in rc south as well as the president of afghanistan that's what i was doing at the time my okay. squad and i and uh, we were operating on our own, basically. There were times where our, our platoon sergeant, our E7, or our lieutenant was not with me. So I was the one making decisions on the ground as a staff sergeant, which is not typical when right. you're doing a patrol. Usually on a patrol, you have a E7, or you have a lieutenant, or you got someone there. Well, that wasn't the case because of how our mission ran. I was at place with enough, enough trust and confidence that I can operate outside the wire by myself to make conscious and clear decisions if stuff would happen. And I and I did that. And there were a lot of high stress scenarios that if something would have went even a millimeter the wrong way, it would have went very bad for everyone. Um, I had a, a Mexican standoff basically between me and someone else. Um, barrel pointed at me, I was pointed at him. And I had my nine tucked under his side and he had his barrel pointing at me. And I basically asked him if he wished he wanted to die today. Because yep. I didn't care. 
And mind you, this was my last deployment. So all that I had went through before basically gave me that I don't even care if I die right now. And I looked him in his eyes and I said, I am okay to die right now. Are you okay to die? Because I will, because if I fall, my sergeant's going to take you down. If you see that guy and his eyes got big and I said, I'm going to count to three. And by the time I count to three, and if you don't remove your weapon, I am going to kill you. Yeah. And his eyes got big and I counted. I counted to two. I pulled the hammer back on the nine mil and then he took a step back. And I was like, and inside I was like, oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> like, geez, you know, and then we worked it out and then coming to find out that that guy I was at engagement with was one of President Karzai's like top guys security wise. So almost created an international incident doing that. You know <laughs> what I mean? My colonel, the guy, the colonel that I was providing security for, he was like, Sargus, dude, you're insane. And I was like, sir, sometimes you just got to go off book a little bit, you know, because yeah. they don't get it. We're American and they can see that, but they didn't want to listen, you yeah. know? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and I, and I had the motto of uh, we either all, when, when my squad goes out and you're with me, we all come back or we all don't. That was the, right. that was the mentality I instilled. And yeah. it was people that didn't want to come with me because of that. And my squad knew that's just how it was. Either we're all going to stay out there and we're all going to go down or we're all going to come back. That was the rule. Yep. And my colonel loved that because at least you know that you will be protected with me. And right. all of that stuff and everything that kind of went down during that deployment kind of led me to being awarded the Bronze Star. And I didn't even know, and it's not, there's no V device, not for Valor, because there was no like crazy acts that happened. But I didn't even really know I was getting it. I, was, I knew I was submitted for it, which I was like, oh, I'm not going to get it because I'm not an E7, you know, whatever. Right. But uh, I found out I was getting it a couple days before the award ceremony. And I was like, wait, what? Me? I'm getting that. And then my buddy got it too. We were in the same platoon. So we were the only two that got it out of our entire regiment that were E6s. And I saw that as like rewarding. And in that tour, I also was inducted into the Sergeant Audie Murphy Club, uh, the Sergeant Morales Club, and uh, which are also two organizations that not that many non-commissioned officers can get into. It's a vigorous board process and you have to get unanimous decisions in order to get in. So okay. like there was a lot of stuff that happened during that tour that allowed me to get to do that. What are those? Um, they're basically, <laughs> they basically, uh, they test out your leadership style, basically. You get okay. asked a series of situational questions. It's not your typical answer board question, you know, something you read out of a book. Yeah, corporate answers. See, yeah, they want to see how you will handle situations, and you have to defend your answers. You're basically, your leadership style and who you are as a leader is being tested by yep. E9, you know, and there has to be a unanimous decision. Uh for the Sergeant Audie Murphy Club, I passed it on the first go. For the Sergeant Morales Club, I did not pass it on the first go. I got, I got, a, I got a no go. I got all goes from the panel, but the president said no, and they were trying to convince the president, but he did not want to do it because I didn't answer a certain question the way he liked it, something like that. I don't know, it was whatever, right. whatever. And my sergeant major forced me to go back again. I didn't want to go back, and he forced me. <laughs> he threatened me with a UCMJ if I didn't go back, which I know he couldn't do. <laughs> But at the time, I didn't know that. And he goes, if you don't go back, I'm going to give you Article 15. And I was like, I fucking hate that article. Sorry, Major. Fine. <laughs> you know, fine. So I went back and then I got it the second time. Yep. You know, and they saw that I was a repeat. And basically, also what that showed is my resilience to come back after failure mm-hmm. is what a leader does. Is when you fail, right. you show the resiliency to go back. And that right. also gave me that step to be inducted into that club also. Hell yeah. Nice. So now we'll go back to, uh, I guess why you're out and stuff like that, you know, um, you know, do you got any, uh, before we get into your, your podcast, I think this is going to flow right into, uh, what you're doing over there at warrior mindset and motivation words of wisdom to any of my listeners out there that might be not handling this COVID being alone kind of stuff mentally right now words of wisdom hmm. it's funny because i asked the same question too online <laughs> uh, i basically um words of wisdom have a you have a support network whether you want to believe it or not yep. you have one and if you're in a dark place right now think of life as a battery for every positive there's a negative because that's the way the battery works that's yep. the way life works if the battery if the battery was charged more to one side than the other, then the battery won't work. So when you're in the dark place, dark spot or dark, however you want to call it, 
look for your light. Look for that light switch to turn the light on. It's there. You just have to keep looking and look for it or have someone guide you to it, but you have to turn it on. If yeah. I try to turn on the light for you, it's not going to turn on because it's not my light to turn on. It's yours. So you have to turn it on or look for that lighthouse that's out there and walk to it. You can't find the switch. Look for something else and go walk to that source of light because it's there and it's not going anywhere. And when you get there, promise you, you'll be grateful that you made the journey and then you will have gained experience along the way that you can share with other people on how you got out of that spot. Yeah. And it's amazing when you get out of there too. Yes, it is. It's truly amazing. And yeah. And I know you can, you know, you can agree with me too, but I know my listeners, they probably heard it, you know, 35 times by this episode gets out, but man, getting the help when you need it the most. And then just knowing that you had to ask for help is a great feeling after you got the help. Yeah, totally. I mean, so it's, it's killer at the same time because you don't want to be a burden to anybody. Right. And that's like the worst stigma to have. And like me, I battled suicide on two different occasions to where if my good friend didn't intervene, probably wouldn't be here. Right. You know, I was living at his house. That was after the, before the divorce, I got arrested because I strangled my ex-wife because she triggered PTSD. Right. I didn't even know that I did that. And I got placed in the veterans court and I was, a, I was in a dark spot during that time. That year and a half was very dark. I'm a guy that's always, you know, on the straight and narrow, not in trouble. And then here I am with an arrest, two felonies hanging over my head for, I don't even remember for what still, you know, I just know that they said I strangled her apparently uh, because she backed me into a corner. I remember her backing me into a corner, not, not figuratively speaking. And right. she grabbed my hair when I had hair at the time or I shaved it. And that's all I remember. So I was basically defending myself and right. I just did that. And then, I, dude. I was in a dark spot there, and that's when all the suicide ideations happened. And I was living at my friend, my old platoon sergeant's house, my friend, and it was just dark. And then I got placed into that veterans treatment court here in Oregon, Washington County. And that's what helped turn things around, to be honest with you, um, was they showed me that it was okay to ask for help because I didn't want to talk. I was angry all the time. And uh, they saw like my bio of what I've done and things and who I was with attached to. and deployments and they were like holy smokes you know like this guy is the real deal uh, i'm not saying that anyone else isn't but just the things that i've done in my awards and they were almost, they were intimidated for a second you know because they're like okay this guy's going to be a challenge you know because i had a certain mindset for so long yeah. and they, they had to break that mindset and they did they broke it and they showed me that military mindset doesn't always apply to civilian life and there are times that it does but you just have to restructure it to civilianize it, but you can't execute the same way because look where it got me. Yeah. You know, I went through the program and luckily I was the first um, person in the program that completed it in 12 months with no relapses, no re no, nothing bad happened. And all my charges were dismissed. Congrats. So, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge thing. Like I couldn't even hold my composure during the graduation because they give you a graduation ceremony when you finish. And like I was crying for like at least what felt like forever, but I couldn't even hold it in. I was like tearing up. I couldn't speak. Yeah. And then I had to like take my composure for a second and then finally start talking like because I was just so grateful yeah. for what they've done. For me. And then I just turned it around. And then during that, towards the end is when I met my fiance a year ago. And uh, that's how I kind of, you know, in really in that program they don't want you to be in a relationship so we weren't exactly like together we were kind of just hanging out yeah, you yeah. know until after it was done and then we started happening getting more official and it took its course from there but she was also an instrumental help too because she does energy healing almost like reiki kind of it's called um, body and emotion code and she also does vibrational sound therapy with the uh, tibetan sound bowls she's okay. uh, one of the only certified people in the pacific northwest to do that and uh and that stuff really, really helps. Like the holistic healing is like really, really, really good, man. Like <laughs> it's it like, oh, dude, I can't even explain what that stuff does, but it works. And like, that's kind of like why we're starting the nonprofit now for veterans called Task Force Lighthouse to help veterans get the holistic healing that we provide. So they'll get the energy holistic healing from her and they'll get the coaching from me. 
like to kind of to kind of get them back on track. So basically, I'm gonna do for the veterans what was done for me personally because I'm a yeah. guy that will not ask anyone to do something if I haven't done it myself. I, yeah. That was one of the things I adapted as a leader, you know. So I'm doing that now. I went through it. Look at me. You can do it. Yeah, and it's great. I know yeah. I said it a hundred times, but man, it is. <laughs> I can't say it enough, and I can't. You know. It is all. It's a great feeling. I am glad that you were able to find an avenue or a place or the right people at the right time to get you through yeah. that. Now you're starting an organization, you know, with your fiance. You met her through this. You know, that's how you met her. You know, so it's like, you know, you're gonna go out there. You're gonna help all these other veterans that are going through what you went through or something similar, and that's that's phenomenal. You know, that's. I yeah. mean. Ask yourself five years ago, did you see yourself doing that today? Hell no, not even. Yeah. Like, and, and even like how I met her is funny too. Like, I actually met her through Facebook dating. Okay. You know, and I was fed up. I was driving home from work one day, going to my friend's house. It's a 45, 50 minute drive to Salem from Hillsborough, Oregon. And I got one of my buddies from work. He was like, you know, sometimes you got to speak things into existence. So I was like, okay. And I was driving and I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm done with, uh, like, and I was naming off different races of women. I was like, I'm done with this race and this race and this one and this one. And I was just naming them off. And I was like, you know, I was like, God, I want an Asian or a Native American because they're nice and they have good family values. And I don't ever hear anything crazy about them. No you know, <laughs> nothing. And then, like, I get on the Facebook dating on Veterans Day and I saw her picture on there. And it's completely different from Facebook. It's like you don't even see her profile. Yeah. And I swiped past her a few times because, like, no, because she does so many things. I honestly felt intimidated. Yeah. And she's so pretty, too. So I was like, okay, no, you know, I'm not going to do that. So then it kept popping up as I was doing that. And I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm just going to hit the like button. And then she hit the like back and we talked for a long time, uh, like not no small talk. And then we went on a date and then it kind of just took off from there. Hell yeah. Yeah. Congrats, man. It's kind of nice. So my wife is, uh, she's my third wife. Okay. Because I'm a Marine, so we got to get married at least once or twice, and I'm an overachiever, so I did it twice yeah. when I was in. <laughs> there you go. We got to find the right one. Third time's a charm. That's it. And uh, we actually, so when I got out of the Marine Corps, through a whole course of uh, actions and, you know, bad life decisions on my part and stuff like that, I ended up having to come back home from North Carolina up to Massachusetts, and mm -hmm. I joined the fire department that I was at before I went in. And that's how mm -hmm. I met my wife. And, you know, the, you know, we have to ask the chief of the fire department for permission if we want to date somebody else that's on the fire department, you know. Oh, Because okay. he has to know because, there's you know, there's strict rules. Like if there's a house on fire, both of you are not yeah. going in there. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, you know, those kind of things. And um, so the chief's like, you know, he looked at my wife and he goes, Ashley, this is actually, this is going to work. He goes, Ashley, you're going to keep Dave from fucking killing himself because he's wild and. He's, he's a fucking idiot, you know, <laughs> and uh, he doesn't know how to calm down. And then he looked at me and he goes, Dave, you're going to show Ashley the good side of life. Because my, my wife is very um, by the book rules. Like her parents told her when she was a kid, you know, don't do drugs, you'll die. So she'd never even seen weed when I met her. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's like, don't speed, you'll yeah, yeah, yeah. die. So she, you know, very straight and narrow, very neurotic and stuff like that. So we're we're completely opposite. But man, we're. You know, we're I'm helping her every day. She's helping me every day, and we're 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 flying, and we're loving. It. We got a six year old now, and she's fucking running the house. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what's uh? Talk to me about the Warrior Mindset and Motivation podcast. So that was also inspired by my fiance. She told me that you know, since I have a voice that people listen when I speak, so she kind of gave me the idea. She's like, why don't you just talk with veterans about their transition. She's like, yours wasn't so great. You know, talk to other ones that maybe we're having the same thing. And if you can get them to talk, maybe it'll help other people that are listening. So I do it every Thursday. And then of course I adjust different times and days for people if they can't do it. Like I just try to keep it consistent Thursdays, uh, 11 o'clock Pacific, Pacific time. And if there's a different day, it's a different day, you know, depending on what people got, excuse me, got going on. Then I'll do that. And I also kind of post stuff on Instagram, Facebook, like motivational stuff, inspirational things, pictures, quotes, you know, just to kind of 
inspired because you know you sometimes you read something and it whatever sometimes happens you read it and it like switches your brain or something like it's like a switch yeah. that goes pump and then you get inspired to do something because you read something yep so i kind of that's what i kind of hope to do and then like the reason of the name behind it is because when you're in the service especially in a combat job you have to have that warrior mindset to be able to do that yep. um and when you think about a warrior mindset is that's doing whatever it's deems necessary in a safe manner to complete the mission, no matter what execute the task, no matter what. And the mission has to get completed with a warrior adapts and it overcomes and it never loses. Warrior never loses. They always win because they adapt and they overcome the situation. They act like water and they flow through everything. Right. So I figured that. And then the motivation piece was just to slap on there just to kind of, you know what, while you have this mindset, you have to be motivated to have this mindset. Yep. So I kind of threw it all together. I ran it by the missus, and she's like, nope, that's great. And then I created a logo for it. Kind of looks like a dude holding a weapon on his yep. back, kind of chill, you know? So I was like, okay, because that's kind of like how I am, you know? And that's kind of where it happened from there. And it kind of just took off a little bit. And I just started reaching out to people, and they started coming on. Uh, I had Jessica Lynch come on, the president of war. I had um, Jake McLaughlin from the show Quantico come on because he's an Army veteran. Yeah. Uh, I had the veteran rapper Soldier Hard come on. Uh, he's actually, I've, his music actually got me through some tough times as well. And he's a super cool guy. Yeah. Uh, I just had a bunch of different people. I've had an NFL player come on. I've had a Major League Baseball player come on. Uh, Purple Heart recipients. Uh, I almost got a Medal of Honor recipient to come on, but he declined. And I respect his decision. I'm not going to bash it in any way. Everyone, right. I don't knock anyone who doesn't. They Maybe they're just not there yet or ready to talk. Right. But uh, he's a living Medal of, Honor, Medal of Honor recipient, and he appreciated the offer but said no. So yeah. I figured, you know what, it's okay. You know, I told him I respect his decision, and thanks for taking the time to respond. He didn't respond back to that, but he saw it, and that's okay. You know, yeah. some people just like to stay private. But that's kind of how everything kind of started up, man. And I just keep going, and I keep going, and I keep reaching. Um, I'm trying to get certain people on, you know, just that I have, big, I have a bigger social media presence. like. I found a loophole, not necessarily a loophole, but maybe a way to engage with Dwayne Johnson because I know he has a veteran family. Yep. So I sent a, uh, an email out that way to see what happens there. I'm working the angle with Montel Williams, Rob Riggle, Kurt Angle, the WWE wrestler. So I'm trying to get different people as well as regular veterans like you and me, you know, anyone yep. that'll provide value or motivation on any type of struggle. But like my rule for my podcast is, is they have to be a veteran. Yeah. And if they're not a veteran, they need to have supported the veteran community in some way, you yeah. know, and if not, I'm sorry, like you're not going to come on. And if they get butt hurt about it, too bad. You know, yeah. if you want, if you want to come on my podcast, donate money to an organization, show me the receipt and you can come on, you know, like, yeah, exactly. And and that, and it is what it is. I mean, it's, you, I'm not going to be a good guest on a lot of podcasts out there. You know what I mean? And I, there's a lot of, you know, there's a couple of people that, you know, wanted to be on mine, but I'm like, you have no value to what I'm trying to do. Exactly. You know what I mean? So, and my listeners, you know, I'm getting feedback from them and stuff like that. And so far they're liking it. So mm -hmm. that's good. Um, but yeah, I was going to say that I was glad that you ran through some of your, your guests on there. Cause I, when, <laughs> when you first, you know, when we first started talking and everything else, cause you sent out that, that, that post on our, the, the mission 22 ambassador workflow that we have. I, I kind of stalked you a little bit because why not, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And I saw I some did of your. For a reason. Yeah. <laughs> for people like you, I did that for a reason. <laughs> so I, I saw some of your guests on there and I was like, wow. You know, some of them are. So I'm encouraging my listeners to go out there and look up Warrior Mindset Motivation, which can be heard on. It can be heard on Facebook, uh, Instagram. I got uploaded to IGTV, uh, YouTube. You can type that in. It's a little trivial to find on YouTube because it's not that it's not that much engagement on there, but it's on there. You just got to do some digging around. Um, and if you can't watch, you can uh, listen to it on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google. I use a, a platform called Anchor.fm. And what that does is you can listen on there also. But what that does is Anchor FM actually helps you push it out to all the other podcasting networks. Yep. So it does that for you instead of signing up for five different accounts. You just sign up for one, and it pushes it out to all those. So yep. if you're a Spotify listener, you can type in Warrior Mindset and Motivation. It'll pop up on Spotify. It'll pop up on Apple. It'll pop yep. up on Google Pass or some other 
some other crap called Breaker or Breaker, or whatever the hell that's called. Right. So, yeah. yeah, I use Anchor too as well for this podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, there's a couple out there that Anchor won't help you out with, like uh, Pandora, iHeart, Amazon, yeah. Alexa, and stuff like that. But, you know, if you want after the show, I'll tell you how to get on those because I ended up getting the show on that. Um, so that's good that, you know, people can get out there. They can listen to you. You know, you're, like you said, you're on Facebook, you're on YouTube, you're on Instagram. You got a TikTok yet going or? I have a TikTok. Um, both of my fiance and I, we started one. I think that there's like 858 followers. I'm not too much on there. There's just, that thing is addicting as hell. You will go into video after video after video. Next thing you know, an hour gone by. Oh yeah. Uh, we were on some guy's live. He's a veteran. Uh, his name is Brad, like Brad 007 or something like that. And we were on his, we hopped on his live and there was only like seven of us, but they were all vets, yep. you know, my, my fiance, she's not a, uh, she's not a military veteran. She went in the Marines, but then she stepped away from it for uh, personal reasons. Yep. And, uh, it was just seven of us on there. And next thing you know, I think we hopped in there like, it was like nine 30, nine 40. And next thing you know, it's like two in the morning and we're like, holy smokes, you know, like <laughs> burn through time, like no other, yep. but, uh. I have, I do a couple of things on there. I mean, I don't really like do a lot. I don't have the live access yet. Obviously I think you have to have like a thousand followers to go live on there. So uh, I don't have a thousand yet. I got 858. So I kind of just go on there and I look at funny stuff where I'll do a lot of like little duets or stitches or things like that, you know, now and then. So, but the TikTok name is combat vet 0815. Okay. So there you go listeners. So now you're got somebody else to follow a little bit too on, uh, on TikTok, send them, uh, even if you have something that you want to send them that, you know, after listening to his story here tonight, that he might want to know. And uh, you can send him, send hit you, your videos. You know, yeah. you guys can collaborate. <laughs> and then also, um, I don't know if you've seen, you've seen that first art on TikTok, that active duty army guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually got him set up and he's going to come on. Nice. On perfect, pocket. man. And that happened yesterday. I came across his live where he was in regular clothes and I hopped on there and it took me a shit ton of messages, but he finally read it because I would yep. scroll so quickly. Yep. And he's like, yeah, just send me a message. I'll come on your podcast. And granted he's active duty, but his message and what he does yeah. is good and yep. very motivational and inspirational. And I was like, I wanted to rope him in on it. So yep. now I'm just waiting for him to respond. Cause I know he'd get a lot of messages. He told me to send him a message. He followed me so I can send him one. So now it's just, getting that lined up on this. So I'll have the TikTok first on on my podcast when that becomes available. Outstanding, man. I'll, uh, I'll, I'm subscribed to your warrior mindset on, uh, Spotify. I think I use oh, okay, two things cool. on my phone. I use like, I have this app it's called player FM, which is nice. I like it. Cause all the, uh, all the, the podcast that I subscribe to whenever somebody pushes out a new episode, it's all linked right there. So I can just hit play. And it'll play like oh. one from you and one from like IGY 622 and yeah. Spotify. You'd have to go into your library and switch it around. Yeah. So I use player FM, but cool. it all works. Yep. But Hey man, I want to say thanks for, for being on the show and man, I'm glad that you were able to, uh, you know, go through that ordeal, find your, sniff, your, you know, you guys are getting married. That's going to be yeah. awesome. You know? Yeah. You know, I wish you guys Super the best happy. of luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. And uh, listeners, you know, check out Eric's uh, Warrior Mindset and Motivation Podcast everywhere. If you want to get a hold of him, you know, email me at dave at AmericanVetPodcast.com. Um, yeah, if you have any questions for Eric or anything like that, just let me know and we'll get you together. And Eric, once again, man, thanks. Thanks. Thanks a lot. No, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you asking me to come on there and then you know, return a favor and have you come on mine and we could talk about your podcast and what started, you know, hear your story for this. Cause you know, everyone's got a story, That's it. you know, and so it's just now I'll give you a chance to share your story and we'll line up some dates and things like that to get you to share yours, you know, just raise awareness to both of our things we're trying to do, man. And yep. the more people we listen, the more people will influence. Absolutely. And that's what it's about, man. If you know, that's why I thank my listeners there for getting on Apple um, podcast to actually, you know, you can, you can listen to it. Downloads is one thing, but when you start sharing it, that's when the algorithm really starts kicking in and you start yep. commenting. And that's what really pushes it out there. And, you know, people won't see it on their feed until they get it. And then, you know, the, the main objective, Eric's got the same main objective as me is get to that one veteran that needs to listen to that episode at that time in his life, to turn himself yep. around. So yep. 
It is. It starts spot with on. the listeners. <laughs> yep. Spot on, man. Spot on. All right, Eric. Good night, and uh, listeners. Thank you again, and we'll see you uh, on the next episode. Good night, everybody. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.